Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and you've reached the Book of Mormon Lecture Series. I've been teaching seminary and institute for the last 11 years, and uh, this is an attempt to do a deep dive into the Book of Mormon itself. I'm hoping that you'll find this uplifting and edifying. This is not an official recording of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but every attempt has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. So if you're ready for a deep dive into the Book of Mormon, here we go. Hi, and welcome back to the Book of Mormon podcast. Uh, my name is Brad Constantine. You probably figured that out by now. Uh, we're going to do Alma chapter 4. Um, so this is... Uh, Got a lot of good information in here, as they all do. Uh, this is about baptism and uh, the church's progress, uh, what's going on here, and a new chief judge. All right, verse 1. Now it came to pass in the sixth year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi, there were no contentions nor wars in the land of Zarahemla. But the people were afflicted, yea, greatly afflicted, for the loss of their brethren, and also for the loss of their flocks and herds, and also for the loss of their fields of grain, which were trodden underfoot and destroyed by the Lamanites. And so great were their afflictions that every soul had cause to mourn, and they believed that it was the judgments of God sent, sent upon them because of their wickedness and their abominations. Therefore they were awakened to a remembrance of their duty. And they began to establish the church more fully. On the one hand, the church began to be established more fully in the hearts and minds of the members. On the other, it began to have an influence on those not of the faith, such that in one year, 3,500 persons came into the church through repentance and baptism. Continuing verse 4, Yea, and many were baptized in the waters of Sidon, and were joined to the church of God. Yea, they were baptized by the hand of Alma. Though the record says that the converts were baptized by the hand of Alma, we would suppose that many of these were baptized by other legal administrators under Alma's direction by virtue of the keys of the priesthood he held as president of the church or presiding high priest. And that was by Millet McConkie. Who had, back to verse 4, who had been con consecrated the high priest over the people of the church by the hand of his father Alma. You might notice that as I'm reading a particular verse that I interrupt myself a lot. That's how I teach as well. When I, when I have students reading aloud, it kind of perturbs them sometimes that I interrupt them while they're reading. I think it's kind of funny, but they don't. Verse 5, And it came to pass in the seventh year of the reign of the judges that there were about 3,500 souls that united themselves to the church of God and were baptized, and thus ended the seventh year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi. And there was continual peace in all, in all that time. And it came to pass in the eighth year of the reign of the judges that the people of the church began to wax proud, here we go again, because of their exceeding riches. Many people who remained faithful while they were poor may be unable to stand when they are rich. Riches have a very corrupting effect upon the human heart, and it requires a very pure people to be as honest, virtuous, humble, and upright when surrounded by luxury and wealth. That was by George Q. Cannon. The test of prosperity is one that the Nephites and many others of God's children seem unable to meet. Wealth nearly always precedes pride, which is the beginning of all other sins. And that was by May Blanche. Continuing with verse 6. And their fine silks and their fine twine linen, and, be, and because of their many flocks and herds, and their gold and their silver, and all manner of precious things which they had obtained by their industry, and in all these things were they lifted up in the pride of their eyes, for they began to wear very costly apparel. Um, again, another quote here. Um, the worst fear, this is Brigham Young, the worst fear I have about this people is that they, this is a classic quote, um, I probably said this one before. 
The worst fear I have about this people is that they will get rich in the country, forget God and his people, wax fat, and kick themselves out of the church and go to hell. This people will stand mobbing, robbing, poverty, and all manner of persecution and be true. But my greatest fear is that they cannot stand wealth. President Kimball said, um, let's see, no, this is Orson Pratt. He said, but there is danger if we become lifted up in the pride of our hearts and think because we have gathered an abundance of the wealth of this world that we are a little better than our poor brother who labors eight or 10 hours a day at the hardest kind of labor. Any person having the name of Latter-day Saint who feels that he is better than and distinguishes himself from the poor and supposes that he belongs to a little higher class than they is in danger. Verse 7, now this was the cause of much affliction to Alma, yea, and to many of the people when Alma had consecrated to be teachers and priests. Because there were no Levites in the colony of Lehi, as we assume that there were no Aaronic priesthood among the Nephites, at least until the coming of Jesus to the Americas, the words priests and teachers thus appear to be descriptive of their ministerial duties in the higher priesthood rather than referring to offices in the Aaronic priesthood. I think I may have mentioned that before. Repetitions, okay. Verse 7 continued, And elders over the church, yea, many of them, were sorely grieved for the wickedness which they saw and began, and had be, that they saw had begun to be among their people. For they saw and beheld with great sorrow that the people of the church began to be lifted up in the pride of their eyes and to see their hearts upon, set their hearts upon riches and upon the vain things of the world, that they began to be scornful one towards another. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. That was by C.S. Lewis. Uh, again, continuing. Uh, the central feature of pride is enmity. Enmity toward God and enmity toward our fellow men. Pride is, is um, essentially competitive in nature. We pit our will against God's. In addition, the proud make every man their adversary by pitting their intellects, opinions, works, wealth, talents, or any other worldly measuring device against others. God will have a humble people. Either we can choose to be humble or we can be compelled to be humble. And that was by President Ezra Taft Benson. Verse 9, And thus in this eighth year of the reign of the judges, there began to be great contentions among the people of the church. Yea, there were envyings and strife and malice and persecutions and pride, even to exceed the pride of those who did not belong to the church of God. Every moment of the day, the mind must pick out and focus on one particular thing. All the rest becomes background. Who decides what the mind focuses on? You select it, and it's up to you. The things you wish to focus on and dwell on are the things which you choose. Talk about this life becoming a time of probation. The choices you make every minute announce where your preferences are. They make clear where you're where you stand, what your values are, and everything else. You give yourself away every hour of the day. It's marvelous because it goes on right to the end. As Nephi tells us, God prolongs our lives so we will have more chance to repent. That's the great blessing of it. You have to make a choice. It's not just the two ways. The ancients used to talk about the two ways, but the way of light and the way of darkness are, are before us at all times. You have the choice of the one or the other, and there is no middle way because they lead in opposite directions. As one person said, the uproad and the downroad are one. They lead in opposite directions. Being on the uproad depends on the way you are facing, whether you are going up or whether you are going down. To be righteous is to be facing up. You may be right at the bottom of the road and, miserable, and, and a miserable, miserable rat. To be lost, to be wicked, is to be facing down, no matter how high you may, may be. That was by Hugh Nibley. 
You can always recognize Hugh Nibley's quotes. Verse 10, And thus ended the eighth year of the reign of the judges, and the wickedness of the church was a great stumbling block to those who did not belong to the church, and thus the church began to fail in its progress. And it, ca and it came to pass in the commencement of the ninth year, Alma saw the wickedness of the church, and he saw that the example of the church began to lead those who were unbelievers on from one piece of iniquity to another, thus bringing on destruction of the people. President Kimball said, How much easier is it to understand and accept if the seeker after truth can also see the principles of the gospel at work in the lives of other believers? No greater service can be given to the missionary calling of this church than to be exemplary in positive Christian virtues in our lives. Verse 12, Yea, he saw great inequality among the people, some lifting themselves up with their pride, despising others, turning their backs upon the needy and the naked, and those who were hungry, and those who were athirst, and those who were sick and afflicted. Now this was a great cause for lamentations among the people, while others were abasing themselves, succoring those who stood in need of their succor. Remember that succor means to rescue or to come to the aid of quickly. Such as imparting their substance to the poor and the needy, feeding the hungry and suffering all manner of afflictions for Christ's sake, who should come according to the spirit of prophecy, looking forward to that day, thus retaining a remission of their sins. That's what Elma is going to talk about later is uh, try to remain a, retain a, re, a remission of our sins. Being filled with great joy because of the resurrection of the dead, according to the will and power and deliverance of Jesus Christ from the bands of death. <clears throat> and now it came to pass that Alma, having seen the afflictions of the humble followers of God and the persecutions which were heaped upon them by the remainder of his people, and seeing all the, this inequality, began to be very sorrowful. Nevertheless, the Spirit of the Lord did not fail him. And he selected a wise man who was among the elders of, his, of the church and gave him power according to the voice of the people, that he might have power to enact laws according to the laws which had been given and to put them in force according to the wickedness and the crimes of the people. Now this man's name was Nephiha, and he was appointed chief judge, and he sat in the judgment seat to judge and to govern the people. Now Alma did not grant unto him the office of being high priest over the church, but he retained the office of high priest unto himself, but he delivered the judgment seat unto Nephiha. And this he did, that he himself might go forth among his people, or among the people of Nephi, that he might preach the word of God unto them, so to stir them up in remembrance of their duty, and that he might pull down by the word of God all the pride and craftiness and all the contentions which were among his people, seeing no, no way that he might reclaim them, save it were in bearing down in pure testimony. The teacher's divine commission may uh, has been clearly articulated by the scriptures and by living prophets. He or she is to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is to be taught out of the standard works and from the words of the living oracles. It is to be taught by the power of the Holy Ghost. It is to be applied to the life situations of the listeners, thus likening the scriptures unto the saints. Finally, and as the capstone of the teaching enterprise, the teacher is to bear witness by the power of the Holy Ghost that which has been taught, that what has been taught is true. Faith is developed and commitment is built as a result of testimony, pure and solid testimony. The Holy Ghost is the converter. The gospel teacher has much to do in preparation of the lesson, the search of the scriptures, the declaration of the truth, but the Holy Ghost is the converter, and the gospel teacher must never forget this. He or she must never seek to usurp the role of the Spirit, nor upstage him whose influence results in renewal and righteousness. The person who bears pure testimony never seeks cheap substitutes for the Spirit. He never relies upon methodologies which might confuse sentimentality with spirituality, emotional display with edification. 
His witness is more than story, and his testimony is more than an expression of gratitude. He tries the virtue of the word of God, trusts in the power of the scriptures, and the words of the prophets to penetrate to the heart of his listeners, and bears witness of his message with sincerity and with soberness. That was by Millet McConkie. Henry B. Eyring said, Those who have prepared carefully for the fast and testimony meeting won't need to be reminded how to bear a testimony, should they feel impressed to do it in the meeting. They won't give sermons or exhortations or travel reports or try to entertain as they bear witness because they will have already expressed appreciation to people privately. They will have less need to do it publicly. Neither will they feel a need to use eloquent language nor to go on at length. A testimony is a simple expression of what we feel. The member who has fasted both for the blessing of the poor and for the companionship of the Spirit will be feeling gratitude for the love of God and the certainty of eternal truth. Even a child can feel such things, which may be why sometimes the testimony of a child so moves us and why our preparation of fasting and prayer produces in us childlike feelings. That preparation for the fast and testimony meeting is a covenant obligation for members of the church. M. Russell Ballard said, We often hear some members, and especially children, bear their testimonies listing things which they are thankful for. Um, and those are not necessarily uh, the bearing of a testimony. They should be done in family home evenings sometimes. Verse 20, And thus in the commencement of the ninth year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi, Alma delivered up the judgment seat to Nephi Ha and confined himself wholly to the high priesthood of the holy order of God, meaning Melchizedek priesthood, to the testimony of the word according to the spirit of revelation and prophecy. I bear testimony that these things are true, and say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. See you next time.